Welcome to West Quasset Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westquassettchapel.com. Good morning again. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. I'm just going to read one verse from Romans 12. It's page 790 in the seat Bibles. Um, And for those of you watching online, we want to welcome you as well. And for those of you visiting, um, thank you for being here this morning. We um, are going to read from the Bible. And we have some folks that we're going to pray for, and then we'll, we'll get on with um, trying to understand this verse. Verse 16, we're just going to read um, beginning with, do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, first we want to begin um, praying and asking for the help that people that are dear to us. So we would pray for Silas, and we pray, God, that he, as he works through this, this um, cancer and testing continues. We, we pray for Silas, for his sister Esther, and for his mom and dad, Bill and Lindsay, and extended family. You know how close they are, Father, and we pray for your mercy. We're asking for recovery, for healing, and we pray that it would be swift and it would be merciful. It's our petition to you, God. We pray for the family of Brad Engelbrett and his specifically Jennifer, his wife, and Dalton and Tyler, his sons and family and friends. His, his loss, his death was sudden and unexpected to us, but not to you. And so we pray that whatever this family needs most, that you would give to them, God, in, in great, great measure. We pray for Jeff and the ongoing of his life and that things would go extremely well for him. We pray for Kelly as she continues to battle um, breast cancer. Surgery is coming. We pray that it would be successful and that her cancer will not be terminal. She has kids. She has grandkids. She has extended family that that, um, means so much to her and they and vice versa. And so we pray that you would not only give peace and comfort and healing, salvation where it's needed. And that as always, God, because we live in a broken world, there are people being persecuted for their loyalty to Jesus. There's a family um, in Asia, four kids, mom and dad are in prison for their loyalty to Jesus. Please set them free from their sentence of seven years. And those that are their captives set them free as well from their sin. And so, God, as we think about these words that we've just read, and thank you that you have populated heaven with with men and women who are there because of Jesus Christ. So heaven's not a payment. That is our due. It's a gift by your grace. And so in your mercy, keep gathering people whose sole dependence is upon you and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And there's no one like him. We're gathered together because of him. So please, God, I'm going to need a whole lot of grace to preach him today. And everyone's going to need help to believe in him and enjoy the mercy of life in his name. And so this morning and and this 
Christmas season, in your mercy by your spirit, show us ourselves, and from the pages of the Bible, show us our Savior. And God, we ask this for Jesus' sake, amen. Well, if you're wondering why I chose this particular text for Christmas service, that, that would be very, very understandable. In fact, for a long, long time, I've always wrestled with this verse 16, the, the part that we read, and specifically the phrase, be willing to associate with people of low position. And I wrestled with it, not because I thought it was wrong, but because I've pretty much always thought of myself as a person of low position. And in most of our society, strength and, and status are applauded, and weakness and low position, um, they're thought of as a defect. It, it means that somehow you've missed the very best in life, that you're not trying hard enough, that, that you're not smart enough, that, that there's really not much to you, and people can see that. So, so much of life is structured to do everything we can to not be or at the very least, to not be perceived as a person of low position. So dealing with those things for as long as I can remember, sometimes good, sometimes bad, I may not have actually used that exact phrase in verse 16, but I promise you the feeling inside of me, if I had to give it words, is I've honestly felt most of my life as a person of low position. But there can be good in that. At the very least, at the very least, you would find yourself increasingly wanting to be helped by God. So I chose this text because what we have here in this one little verse, as was once said a long time ago, is the divine righteousness applied. And what that means is the righteousness which is ours by faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness that we could never produce on our own, which, by the way, that's why Christmas matters to Christians. That righteousness is shown in part in verse 16. If you like, verse 16 is how Jesus lived perfectly, perpetually, when he walked this earth. So he came into this world in, in the position of verse 16. He lived in this world in the position of verse 16. And part of his exit out of this world was verse 16. Now, you may know this, but not everybody does. The standard that God requires of us is not like mostly good or usually good. The, the standard, which is God's due, is always good. And I think everyone in this room would admit that we do not always do verse 16 rightly. And so if you can just for a moment imagine the pain and the trouble and in some sense the injustice it brings to others when we don't do verse 16. And I think it's very fair to say that so many a life can become so routine-oriented that it seems impossible for the new life of others, indeed the others of verse 16, the people of low position, to somehow be in injected or to break into the rhythm of our own lives. However, that is not true with Jesus Christ. His whole life was lived for others. 
his whole life for those who lived, for those who knew themselves in low position. So he was on this earth perfectly good and not in any self-serving way. Therefore, for always the right reason, verse 16, Jesus did perfectly. He associated himself with people of low position. And if you think about it just for a moment, that could be one of the problems. That could be a huge obstacle for a person to put their life into the hands of Jesus Christ. So, one, sometimes we cannot think of ourselves as such a needy person who is in such a low position that we actually have to be rescued by God because of our brokenness and our neediness. That's, that's one obstacle. Or two, the opposite of that is that we think that we are in such a low position that there is no way in the universe that God would accept us, accept me, not after what I've done, and not what after, not what after I keep on doing. So someone said it like this, the true meaning of Christmas disturbs the comfortable, but comforts the disturbed. All right? The true meaning of Christmas disturbs the comfortable, but comforts the disturbed. And if you know the Christmas story, you would say, well, parts of the story bear that out. For example, King Herod. King Herod was very comfortable in his station in life. And he thought about himself and the way he thought about the world. He was super comfortable until he found that a king was born, the Messiah. And when he heard the Messiah was born, then he became quite disturbed. So disturbed that you have, remember, the slaughter of the innocents. Every male child, two years and younger. Well, this is the Gospel of Matthew. This is what it says. When he, now this is the 70-year-old Herod. When he heard about the Messiah, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. That's the biblical record. Thousands of baby boys were murdered because Herod thought so highly of himself that he didn't need a king who can save him from his low position. But then there was Mary. Mary was told by the angel that, that as a virgin, she would give birth to the Messiah, Jesus, and Jesus would save people from their sins. And so she said, actually she's saying, and this comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior, for he took notice. That means he, he looked on me with focus, attention, he took notice of his lowly servant girl. So, so Mary's very comfortable with announcing to, if you would, the world that she was in a very low position. And she goes on, now all generations will call me blessed of God. All right, so let's, let's just do this. Let's look at this one verse and put all our attention on this verse, on Jesus, until the very end. Three points. You see them in the worship folder. They're pretty simple. The words, the person, the choice. Okay, first of all, the words. So there are two important words in the verses that we read. The first word is proud. You see it there in verse 16? Do not be proud. The second word is associate, as in be willing to associate with people of low position. 
Okay, so the first word, proud, is the Greek word hoopsalos. Now, the only reason why I tell you that this morning is because when I heard a read hoopsalos, I immediately thought of, my, of, a, of a professional um, um, basketball player. And you know when they're going to go take the ball and they're going to slam it through the hoop, and, and usually it plays itself out where the person is, you know, slow-mo, and they've got the ball, and they're, like, smiling, and the cameras, and the people are all in awe of them, and, and they take that 29.5-inch circumference basketball and they slam it through that 56.5 inch uh, hoop and they do it and they're like yeah and they beat their chest and and like and there you go (laughs) a whole lot of proud pride in that scene so the meaning here is don't be snobbish don't 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 be stuck up don't elevate yourself don't don't think of yourself as higher than you actually are so the kind of person that, that it says, do not be proud, is the kind of person who's, who their thoughts, all their thoughts are to them the decisive thoughts, wise in their own eyes. This is what C.S. Lewis says, a proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. For pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love, of contentment, or even common sense. That's C.S. Lewis. Listen to Casey Musgrave. Um, she sang a song, High Horses, and, and the song, and I actually love this song. It has a line, and everyone knows someone who knows someone who thinks they're cooler than everybody else. And so a, a, a proud person either thinks that they're better than everybody else, so they don't need anyone's help, or on the other end of that stick, because they think they're better than everyone else, they deserve everyone's help. So it's not an ask, it's a command. That's the first word, proud. Second word is associate. Be willing to associate with people of low position. And this word literally means be, to be led away with, to be carried away with others of, of low position. In other words, and I'm quoting here from my Greek Bible dictionary, to yield or submit oneself to lowly things, to lowly conditions, to lowly tasks, which the association calls for. And therefore, those conditions are not evaded. They become your life. All right, so to associate is to have real, meaningful connection with people of low position. Right, so this is not to patronize a person. Do you know what I mean by patronizing a person? Okay, so you're going to use a person because right now you're feeling bad, and so you're going to use the person in low position to feel better about yourself, and so you're going to spend a moment or two with them, do some nice things for them, and then you feel good about you. And the bottom line is you didn't do it to associate with them. You did it because you needed some medicine. And so the medicine came and you're like, oh, I feel so much better about me. So this is not one and done. I think one of the worst feelings in the world, I mean, this is me, is to be patronized by people. I was, I was thinking about me. I was thinking about me and, and I was thinking, okay, so let's say I'm on a sports team. And I never get to actually play in the game until the fourth quarter. And the only time you get to play in the fourth quarter is because the lead is in hand. And there's a couple of minutes left. And the coach is like, well, we don't think Joe can ruin it very much. Let's go ahead and put him in there and let him play around a little bit. Well, that's a little bit of my pride. Let's just be honest. But to be patronized, oh, God, no. So to associate with people of low position means you go where they go. 
You are connected with them in such a way that you conform your reality to their reality, their actual experience. You get into their world. It's not necessarily behaving like them, but it's building yourself and binding yourself into them. Now, we need to think, and we're going to get a little ahead of ourselves, but Jesus is so big that we have to. That in the person of Jesus Christ, in the incarnation, incarnation, in the crucifixion, and in the resurrection, that's exactly what Jesus did. In the incarnation, God became man. So Jesus took on human flesh and human frailty and lived among us, conformed, associated to our reality. So he knows fatigue, and he knows temptation, he knows hunger, he knows thirst. He knew what it would be to be punched, to be spat on. He who knew all things, we know this, he had to learn some things. Jesus, this is one and two and three. Jesus, that's the color red and that's the color blue. And Jesus, you you can't do that. Don't do that. So he experienced human frailty. He put humanity's good before his own glory. He touched very sick people. Indeed, people that we would understand today as quarantined, he, he often touched them, not just to heal them, but to be in solidarity with them. He associated with prostitutes, kind of like the low-end sinners. And, and ultimately, Philippians 2 says, God in Christ became a slave to, to deal with our sin. That's the incarnation. And the crucifixion, Jesus took on human flesh. Yes, God made him who knew no sin. So not only did he take on human flesh, he took on human sin. God made him a new no sin to be sin for us. He was made sin. He, he was made sin associating himself willingly to our reality and our sin. And on the cross, he, he not only felt sin, he bore God's wrath on self, sin. So he, he, he affirmed himself, associated himself with that low position. And in the resurrection... Jesus gave men and women a promise. He gave them the promise of enjoying the gift of his free righteousness simply by faith in him. That's Romans 4.25. He was raised to life for our justification. And so in our justification, we're actually in union with Jesus Christ because the sin that was there is no longer there. There's nothing between us. And so he deals with sin decisively in the resurrection as well. So I want you to think with me, please. Not only did he... Know our sin. So so not just the act itself. Jesus Christ, in a real moment in time, felt in his flesh, in his mind, all sin in our sin. So just think, the the premeditated sins that we do, you know, the sins that, that take a little while to line up, and we have to take this step and that step and that step in order to do that sin... He associated himself with that. The instantaneous sins, you know, when we just go like, the routine sins, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Friday night. And he has dealt with that once and for all by his death and resurrection. And again, if you're, in a, if you're a Christian, you're in union with Jesus Christ. He's associated with you. He is in the highest ways associating himself with you gladly right now. Think of it just as you are. All to say Jesus Christ is truly associated with every Christian and therefore he's not ashamed. Oh, thank you. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. This is the Bible, Hebrews 2.11 both the one who makes people holy 
and the one who, who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We hear that word thrown around, right? I'm ashamed of this context. I'm ashamed of those people. And because I'm ashamed of that context, and because I'm ashamed of those people, I won't be with them. Not so with Jesus. Not so with Jesus. And of course, that takes us to our second point, the person. Well, we've already started talking about him. That's always good. And, but I, what I want you to see is that Jesus, who associated himself with people of low position, came into this world as a person of low position. All right, so Christianity has always said that humanity has a great need, and the only person who can meet that need is one person, Jesus Christ. So that when a person becomes a Christian, you're not getting an ethic, you're not getting a standard, you're actually receiving association, a real binding association with a person. But, and this is what we do at Christmas time, but humanity, we remind ourselves, with all its presumed rights and, and worldly wisdom, they tried to put so many roadblocks to stop the birth of Jesus Christ from taking place. And, and they did it really just by being itself, wise in their own eyes. So we talked about Herod, right? And, and human pride, Herod, you know, and he did his murderous thing. But even at the birth of Jesus, so the, some of this wasn't premeditated. Remember the classic Christian line from the Bible, there was no room for him in the inn? Scholars tell us three things. Number one, the, the, uh, Caesar Augustus's census. They're like, that was a power move. He, he, was, he was centrally, he was flexing, if you would. He was thinking, the world is mine, and I want to find out how strong I am, and I'm going to find out where I need to get stronger, and hence you have this census. And he didn't know it, but when he was, you know, flexing from his high position, his flex caused a woman, Mary, and her husband, Joseph, to go in the open road while she was pregnant into a crowded city. That's the first thing. The second thing scholars say is that in no first century context would a Jewish family have, have allowed a breach of hospitality by turning away strangers in the night. And what that means is not, not only was Jesus born into a humble circumstances, you're like, how humble? Well, even the usual space given to strangers was not given to Mary and Joseph. Because, and, and I want you to think through this, essentially Joseph and Mary the pregnant Mary, they were put in stalls. And so you have to say that the birth of Jesus Christ was taking place with the possibility of a crowd of people passing by. So, so Mary's giving birth to Jesus. That moment, which, you know, is supposed to be beautiful, quite possibly could have taken place. And, and you know, there's people just walking by. I put in my notes, can you imagine if Mr. and Mrs. Snooty religious person was walking by while Mary was giving birth to the Son of God? <laughs> well, they didn't plan that out, did they? Third thing, there's a New Testament scholar, his name is Daryl Bach. He says that the inn, you know, as a no room in the inn, that refer refers to some form of public shelter, usually a two-story house in which the lower story was for animals and the upper story for, was for guests. And then there was one, if there was a one-story building, then usually there was like a little stable attached. And this is what it means. It meant that the no room in the end that meant that Jesus was born in the lowest possible place. So in the letter of the law, Jewish hospitality might have been kept, you know, well, we did give them a place to stay, 
But in the spirit of the law of hospitality, that was broken. So, you know the song Silent Night? That's more spiritual than actual, isn't it? And then we need to think about this. So you have in eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Co-equality in all that God is. And so the Son would come to earth. And, you know, you would think of, of the impact of this would be like staggering. Well, it is staggering because he doesn't come to, or doesn't choose to come into this world in, you know, in a fashion that's marked with dignity and style. The birth of Jesus would not cause people to say, oh, look, that's God incarnate. Just, just look at him. He's actually there. I mean, the mythical couple that is walking by the birth of Jesus, they, didn't, they wouldn't say, oh, there's the Son of God. In fact, the, the, the sign the angels said to the shepherds was that you would find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing, lying in a manger. Okay, so... A baby would not be a strange sight to a shepherd. A, a, a manger would not be a, a strange shy, sight to a shepherd. But a baby in a manger? <laughs> do, you, do you think they ever saw that in their life? And sometimes you hear of a person, you know, who's doing something of, of great worth and, and, or, you know, some really good kindness. And people say, I tell you what's remarkable about her. If you knew where she came from, the fact that she's come down here to do what she's doing is really amazing. And when they say that, what they're saying is that she's doing something so significant that her actual background is so incredible. It's like, why in the world would she come here, you know, from the high street to the low street to do what she's doing? Why would she do that? So there's a Hinwat writer, Edward Cassell, he, he puts that into words in the life of Jesus. Thus to come from highest bliss down to such a world as this? It's like, what? Well, Jesus did all that because he was willing to associate himself with people of low position. Paul would tell us in another book, Jesus who was always God by nature, who'd always been God by nature, did not cling to the prerogatives and, and the rights uh, as being God's equal. So he stripped himself of privilege. He became a slave by nature. He became a mortal person so that he could associate with you and I in the deepest of ways. So part of the Christmas story says, he who was everything became nothing. Right? He who is a, 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 just a new reality, if you would, or a completely different reality or entity, he who was somebody in his own right became a nobody, a, a slave. And a slave in the ancient world, no rights at all. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did it so that he could serve us, he could forgive us, and be united to us. I mean, how strange is this even to say? Just, just think of it. In the person of Christ, a slave forgives the sins of others. Really? Yeah, really. So Jesus Christ did not approach his birth in his life asking, okay, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? I mean, that's, that's us by nature, isn't it? I mean, the majority of things, it's what's in it for me, what can I get out of this? How does this make me better? <laughs> that wasn't Christ. And in and and coming to earth, he said, my, my needs, they, they don't really matter. So the person says, hey, Jesus, you're going to be slighted. You're going you're to be laid in a manger. And later on, you're going to be hunted down as a two-year-old. Doesn't matter. 
Jesus, you, you're, you're not going to have any place to lay your head, and you're going to be born into a really poor family. doesn't matter. Jesus, you're going to be an outcast. You're going to be a stranger to the people and to the world, the very world that you made. It doesn't matter. Jesus, you're going to be talked about all the time. People are going to judge you. Religious people are going to judge you. They're going to mock you. They're going to say things like, you're a person of low standing. If you really were who you say you were, if you really were a prophet, then, then they would draw those conclusions which were wrong, but in their mind it was right. They're going to hurt you, Jesus, with words, and they're going to hurt you with their hands. People are going to actually plan for your death. Just think of that, a group of human beings planning for another human being's death. And Jesus is like, it doesn't matter going to get worse. They're going to strip you naked. They're going to nail you to a cross. And all your followers are just going to collapse under your circumstance. They're going to leave you high and dry. One's going to kiss you goodbye in the worst of ways. And they're not going to be able and willing to associate with you, Jesus, in your low position. They're going to desert you. And Jesus says, that's okay. I'm your servant. I'm their servant. All this is for them. There's more, isn't there? You see, if it's true, and the Bible says this, if it's true that the penalty of sin is eternal torment, some people call that hell, I would call that hell. If it's true that that penalty at least means you're going to be cast out of God's sight and cast away from his presence in eternal torment, so if you die in sin, die with your sins unforgiven by Christ, you're going to be, in effect, totaled. So think of it like this. I learned this this week. I think it was helpful. When a car is totaled, it doesn't mean it stops being a car. It means it can't function as a car anymore. That's what mean, totaled mean. So when a person is cast away from the presence of God, you're, you're totaled as a person. So you don't stop existing. But it means you're incapable of anything that you were built for. So you're incapable of love. You're incapable of giving love, feeling love. You're incapable of of having meaning, and that's going to be the penalty for all eternity. You are essentially decaying forever, a decaying that keeps going. So the reason why I tell you that is not to scare you. I mean, I don't want you to be scared into Jesus. But I want you to think about what Jesus Christ must have suffered. He must have suffered something that must have been worse than anything that we could have suffered in, in hell. So, so damnation is the forever task of paying an endless debt. That's, that's what hell is. But Jesus Christ must have paid something greater than we could have paid through eternity. And he paid it not just for individuals, but for, for us all. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means on the cross... He experienced something that was then worse than all the hells that there ever could be put together. I mean, that's the song, The Love of God. It says, and reaches to the lowest hell. I think that's what that author might have meant. It means that he experienced a despair that we will never know. He was taken away from the Father's side in some way. He lost all his rights. You could say he lost all his crown rights. He lost his relationship with his Father for a moment, an eternity, which is a mystery, He emptied himself of the glory that he had at God. He willingly lost his place in a sense of running the the universe. So his lordship is gone. His sonship is gone. He lost everything 
So there was nothing left that Jesus Christ could give that he did not give. And all of that must have felt staggering to him. In other words, he didn't say, okay, because this is what people think sometimes. Okay, all I have to do is hang here and suffer for, you know, three hours. Three hours and it'll all be over. That's not what happened. If he took our punishment, then he took our hells. Therefore, Christ, and I don't fully understand this, but I know this to be true. Christ must have experienced something worse than what we could experience there in hell. And that's what I mean when I mean he lost everything. And then when it's done, Isaiah 53, so this is a prophecy about Jesus. He says the result of his suffering is he will be satisfied. In other words, Jesus will say, after all that hell, it was worth it. You are worth it. We are worth it. It was worth it for Jesus to associate himself with people of low position like me and like you. He is satisfied with the cost that he had to pay because he loved whom he saved. He loved whom he saved. You were going to sing the song, I hope, on, on Christmas Eve night. Oh, holy night and the line, long lay the world in sin and era pining, right? What is pining? That's physical, mental, and spiritual decline. Long lay the world in that, in that frame till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. So what is our worth? Well, Christmas means that God went to infinite length to make himself one with you, the barrier, our sin, the medicine, his son, Jesus Christ. And, and when God makes himself one with you in Christ, it's just, he just doesn't kind of like ooze himself into your life or some kind of like gradual thing, you know, bits and pieces of me. Once you say yes to Jesus Christ, he gives all of us and he puts it in all of, he gives all of him, excuse me, and he puts it in all of us. A full, permanent, lasting association with people of low position. Final point, choice. All right, so we had the words of pride and associate. We had the person, Jesus Christ. He is splendid. The choice. Well, Christmas is full of choices, right? What to eat. What to buy. What to get for presents. For some of you, what house do we visit first? So I was doing my Christmas reading. This is an article from the New York Post, December 24th, 2016. The article is, Christmas is the most unsentimental way of looking at life. This is what the author says. Christmas is about receiving presents. But consider how challenging it is to receive certain kinds of gifts. Some gifts, by their very nature, make you swallow your pride. And then he gives an example. Imagine you open up a present on Christmas morning from a friend, and it's a book about how to improve your social graces. Then you take off another ribbon and wrapper and find in another book from your other friend the title, Overcoming Selfishness. If you choose to accept those gifts and say, thank you so much, you are in a sense admitting, for indeed I am rude and obnoxious. In other words, some gifts are hard to receive because to do so, we have to admit that we have flaws and weaknesses and we need help. Some gifts make you swallow your pride. 
There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you're, you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. The message of Christianity is indeed, or is instead, things really are this bad. And we can't heal ourselves, and we can't save ourselves. You really are in a very low position. And things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that on those, and this is quoting from Isaiah, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Notice that it doesn't say from the world a light has sprung, but on the world a light has dawned. Help has to come from outside. There is light outside of this world. And Jesus has brought that light to save us. Indeed, Jesus is the light. So this is how weak and lowly we are. We cannot fix things. Even if we try hard enough. And picture this. Imagine everyone, everywhere finally got together and said, come on, everybody, let's work together and let's fix this problem. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't fix the problem. So our rescue began because Jesus was not proud, it's verse 16, but he was willing to associate himself at the deepest level possible with people of low position. And so the choice this morning is, and it's the choice that we have every morning, are we willing to accept and believe on this person who came into this world from the highest possible place, who was born, who lived and died in the lowest possible state, right? He came from the highest possible place, and he was born and he lived and died in the lowest possible state because of our lowest state being dead in sin. That's the choice. The Bible is pretty clear. One day, all the evils of this world will be put to right, and the penalty once hanging over us because of that has been taken away only by Jesus Christ. He's going to come again. He's going to come again, and that is our joy as Christians. So if you're a Christian and you're here this morning, frame every aspect of your life with an awareness of all the truth that we, that we spoke of this morning and find yourself deeply loved. Enjoy your low position, if you would. The paradox, but it's true. And if you're not a Christian, and this is the Christianity of the Bible, then don't be proud. Be willing to associate yourself with Jesus Christ, who came into this world in low position and ended his life for our sins in the lowest position possible to save you, to save you. Beware the constant quest for high position. Jesus did. And look what he accomplished. Let's pray.
Father, as we consider the suffering of your son, all we see is beauty, humility, and absolutely perfect love. We, we know we sin, and we're very sorry. Thank you for Jesus who, who was sinless, who was shattered for those sins of ours, that he, by his own choice and your plan, lived a life of beauty and selflessness, a life given for others, a life of low position. Thank you that he alone is our substitute, and thank you that we have his perfection always as a gift. And may this Christmas season, those of us that are, belong to you, may we enjoy your perfect righteousness more than ever before. And those who do not belong to you, to the praise of your glory, bring them into the family, your family, you the living God. And we ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening this week. If you were helped or encouraged by this sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquestchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in His Church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 